Sony is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Baller Boys podcast. Finally, I'm hosting this. And today I have my two co-hosts, Kaiser. Hello. And Rahul. Managed to wrestle the mic off me for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like so excited, you know. I'm just going to keep talking, bro. So uh, this is our third and final episode of the preseason series. So we hope you got some time to listen to the previous uh, two ones. So in this particular episode, uh, we're going to be covering Liverpool. And then we're also going to be covering Arsenal in a special segment with a special guest, uh, Brother Carl, who is an Arsenal fan. So it'll be really nice to get his perspective on things. And then we're going to end the pod with a preseason um, review of Bournemouth, the newly promoted side. So, but before we get into the podcast itself, I just want to say, um, I just want to give you guys a final reminder to sort of join our Baller Boys FPL League. So, what we've done this season is we've increased the prices. So, everybody in the top 10 gets a cash prize and uh, it's only 30 ringgit per team to join and the deadline is on the 5th of August. So, if you've not signed up yet, please feel free to DM us. You can d- you can join more than one team, two teams, three teams, up to you. Uh, the more the better so we can actually <laughs> break even lah you know so <clears throat> please feel free to reach out and uh, that being said let's get straight into the pod so current champions of the community shield liverpool uh, beat city 3-1 so guys before we talk about liverpool let's just talk about the community shield itself you know let's talk about darwin nunez uh, finally getting his goal i just want to hear your thoughts guys i watched the game you watched the game but i just want to hear it from you what do you think of that game i think for more all intents and purposes especially now right the community shield serves as a friendly um obviously it's it normally is played at Wembley. This time it was played at the King Power because of the Women's Euros final the following day. But I think with the truncated preseason, especially this year, uh, we're seeing the char- you know Charity Shield being played in July, which is not normal. And I think you could see this in the game, especially from a City point of view. City have only played, this would be their third preseason game. Uh, so I think fitness levels weren't quite there. Uh, but for Liverpool, I think there's a lot of positives you can take away from it. It was the first time I think they're playing a preseason game without any training sessions on the same day. All the previous preseason games that they've played up to this point, Klopp likes to do either one or two sessions before that. And so you can see in the performances, especially last week against Salzburg, you could see that the you know the, they don't have it in their legs to be playing a proper 90-minute game. So this was the first time Liverpool managed to put out their strongest side. I have a suspicion this will probably be the side that starts at Fulham um, next week, potentially with maybe one change. And you got to see that, you know, it's working well. They've picked up where they left off last season. I think the season finished on a bit of a disappointment. You know, they were on course for all four, ended up with two and missing out on the two big ones, really. So it was important for them to get you know, get off on a, on the right foot. I think from a City perspective, you'll play the result down as much as you want and say it's a preseason friendly, we weren't there. But if I was Klopp, I'd be saying, hey, 
3-1 win over City is no joke and uh, definitely it starts the season off on a positive step. Yeah, and I think maybe it's not a game you need to compare like Liverpool versus City, but I think it was just good to see how prepared Liverpool were for the season uh, upcoming basically because City are still a decent side even though they haven't had much pre-season right, with the players they've had being champions of England. But it was really good to see the new signings uh, being playing with the original team and how um, things were... I mean, basically, I don't want to say like it's we're gelling already, but it's just good to see that um, the team performing at that level with the new signings. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I mean, it's um, friendly or not, no joke uh, to beat a side like City. And I think, you know, it's good for the mentality of the team. Uh, good for the mentality of David Dunez. Uh, one goal, one trophy, huh? So I think that's a good segue into the Liverpool segment itself. Uh, so the transfers in, the big name signing, Darwin Nunes from Benfica, signed for £67 million, rising to £85 million. I, I see that you've been quite specific with that, Raul. So, let's, let's be accurate. Uh, like, you know? we, uh, yeah, let's be accurate. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> So guys, I remember when Darwin Nunes was linked to uh, United at the time and you were like, Viz, what do you think of Darwin Nunes? And I was like, ah, I don't know, bro. You know, I really don't know. It seems like another, you know, like a sort of Lukaku type of player to be. But, you know, over time, and then sort of the narrative shifted and then suddenly Liverpool have him. So what are your thoughts so far, guys? I think so far, uh, obviously, there have been, you know, there have been few meme compilations through preseason as is expected. Uh, and then he scores he scores four goals against Salzburg, and I think that did a world of good for him. And then he's gone on to obviously get the assist for Liverpool's second goal for the penalty. His header is the one who caused the handball of Diaz, and then he scores the third goal, and you can see he was you know he was <laughs> you know it's an understatement <laughs> to say he was excited <laughs> you know about scoring that goal. Vindication um, of the memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He so lost I mean, it, bro. He lost it. <laughs> Either way, it's a lot of money. You know, it's, it is a big signing. Um, some would argue he's only had one season in the Champions League, although it was a really good season. He got six goals in 10 games, if I'm not mistaken, which is no joke. I think at that level, if you're a Portuguese team, you are normally, you know, without without being insulting, you're normally, round of 16 is already a good achievement. So if you're a striker playing in that sort of team, as as Liverpool fans saw, you know, he scored against this and you could see there was a dangerous player there. I think where the worries came about and I think why Vis, you were hesitant about it is he's got that other side of the game where you see with a lot of raw young players, can't, you know, they, they, they have that part and that's the messy touch, the, the sort of erratic finishing the you know all yeah, this the is, inconsistencies is the, the inconsistencies there. so yeah, I think yeah. there's huge question marks still but if anyone can you know take take a player with a lot of potential and really get the best out of them is Klopp and the coaching team at Liverpool they've done it so many times and I think this you know just highlights the importance of coaching and mentorship I think loads of players mm. have the raw natural abilities there but that's where you really right. see what a coach can do and can what do, a coach yeah. can really transform. I mean, you look at play, you know someone like Rodri at City. When he first came in, he was struggling. He wasn't quite there. Guardiola yes, has had him yes. for two seasons, two and a half seasons, and you see the type of player. Look at him if now. Rodri signed for Liverpool, would he be the same player? Probably not. So that's where you see the importance of uh, coaching and training, I think. Yeah, I think we'll get on to our transfers out later, but just to link Nunes with the importance of the signing is because Mane is left as well. 
so I think that adds just a bit more pressure to him and the price tag just because Mane has been so integral uh, to Liverpool. And if Mane was still around, then uh, maybe we didn't have to put as much pressure, even though we already have Diaz, Jota, who's unfortunately injured. But yeah, this just definitely adds some pressure to the signing for sure. Yeah, for sure, with a price tag like that and you're playing for such a huge club, you know, um, there is going to be pressure, no doubt. But the way I look at it, Klopp, he's not going to sign, he's not going to shell out. Like the Liverpool are so good with their signings, they're so efficient when it comes to net spend. I don't see Klopp shelling out like 80 million for him to be a flop. I think, I personally think Nunes is going to be a hit. Exactly agree with what you said, Rahul, with the fact that how he, you know, it's important to take mentorship and coaching into perspective and, and see. So right now, he's a sort of like a raw piece of talent, right? And then we, maybe in two, three seasons, we'll see how more refined he is. And yeah, it's quite exciting la, from a Liverpool standpoint, I guess. <laughs> so moving on to the other signing that's not so uh, hyped up, um, Fabio Cavallo from Fulham. I really like this guy. You know, um, I think he was a bit overshadowed by the Nunes signing and I think he's looked pretty good, right? Yeah, especially in the Community Shield and uh, yeah, some of the other friendlies. I feel he, him and Elliot are very similar, I feel, in that sense. Um, and they played, they're just very neat, nimble players with good touch and dribbling. And yeah. it is very, very exciting to see where he fits in um, to the team. Yeah, so it's Kaiser. It's funny he mentions Elliot and Carvalho. So last season, I think was a bit unfortunate in the sense that Elliot had Got been given injury, that yeah. In, yeah, he had the injury. But prior to that, he was doing something very different, which we had never seen from a Liverpool midfielder under Klopp, which was sort of playing wide, but always coming in, always seeing the link, the play between midfield and attack, and also allowing Trent a bit more freedom outside there. So we bring in Carvalho now, who for Fulham, for all intents and purposes, is playing like number 10. Again, we've not really seen a number 10 under Klopp since Coutinho, right? So I think you you look at the Carvalho signing and then we come back to Darwin Nunes, who's actually probably going to be playing like a number 9. It's very interesting to see the next stage of this Liverpool team now, you know? So traditionally, we've seen the 4-3-3. We've had the, you know, we started off with uh, Firmino, Salah, Mane. And then now we see, obviously, Mane has moved on. We brought in Diaz for all intents and purposes. I think he's actually the Mane replacement who's going to play on the left. So then what does Nunes do? People say, oh, yeah, obviously, he replaces Firmino. But I think they're very different. And you see that from the game against City. So Firmino starts the game and he does what he always does. He's always defending from the front. He drops in, he links the play, he's coming deep. Nunes comes on and he causes City a whole different set of problems. It's about looking for the space in between. He's looking for those runs in between. All he wants to do is get past the final line in the City. Yeah, uh, City. get in the box. Correct. So then what that leaves behind is obviously there's a bit more of a space between the midfielders who are Thiago Fabinho because you don't have that link of Firmino anymore. So I think that's where Fabio yeah. Carvalho will be. You know, so I think whether okay. you know eventually him or Elliot will be looking to play in front of uh, a double pivot, or we might see maybe a change towards a four-two-three-one, which we've we've experimented before in the past, but not mm. really been a permanent fixture. So I think these two signings, along with Elliot, we are probably seeing the next stages of this Liverpool team. Maybe a shift away from a four-three-three. Or it just gives more flexibility in that sense. Uh, maybe so different opponents or different situations. We can afford to play different formations and make it more unpredictable for the opposition. 
Yeah, especially considering this season is going to be five substitutions. I think you know th- this that five substitutions actually changes the dynamics That's of the really game. Good point, you know, yeah. so yeah, so they'll have a plan B, they'll have a plan C. You know, because having Nunes, like you said, Rahul, he's a completely different player to uh, Firmino. Nunes is just going to be an extra body in there alongside. Uh, Salah and uh, who's on the other side? Um, Probably be Diaz, I think, on the left wing. Yeah, Diaz, yeah. So it's just another extra body uh, that's going to cause chaos, basically, you know, for the opponents. Okay, so moving on to another squad signing, I would say, I think, uh, Calvin Ramsey from Aberdeen. I think he would be not trans replacement, trans backup. Lah. And I think it's quite... I think that that role was very important for Liverpool's side because whenever Trent was injured, I think it was Joe Gomez who filled in for him most of the time, and it's it's good that you know Liverpool finally have a like a backup right back. So, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, I mean, obviously playing for Aberdeen, I've not really watched watched much of him, but just reading oh, really? and sort of. <laughs> hey, to be fair, actually, <laughs> I, I watched I watched Aberdeen game yesterday, so uh, oh, obviously he wasn't playing then. But uh, no, no, I've not. I've never seen him play. But from what what everyone is saying, I think they really liked him because of his um, sort of playmaking ability from right back, which is again what Trent is very uh, pivotal to this Liverpool side for. So I think they found a player that is very similar, like how they found Simicas is very similar to Robertson, you know. And we've seen in the yeah, past Liverpool yeah. re- Liverpool's recruitment is very structured. They are not afraid to wait for the right person to come available. And last season, a bit of a criticism was that whenever, as you said, Viz, whenever Trent was out, Joe Gomez, who's great and does a good shift at right back, but he good job, is not yeah. the same type of player. He's that just not the same. And yeah, not many, yeah. I mean, there are not many players in world football who are similar to Trent from that right back position. So it's quite exciting. Unfortunately, he's been injured. So he's carrying an injury from last season. So we haven't seen much of him. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see much of this guy until about January, February, maybe in the cup games. But he's a young guy, yeah. very highly rated. So, I mean, it's exciting. And I think it, more important than that, it gives us the chance to not just rest Trent when it's absolutely ne- necessary, but similar like how Simikas played a few games here and there. I think that'll be really good. And again, it comes back to the five subs, as you mentioned. I think both City and Liverpool have been looking to really e- exploit that, you know, for lack of a better word. Maximise it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that pretty much uh, covers the transfers in. So we look at the transfers out as a whole. You know, we have a bunch of names here. We have like, um, you know, Neko Williams, Minamino, Divock Origi, Ben Davis. But I think the biggest transfer out that we'd like to cover is Sadio Mane to Bayern Munich for $28.8 million. So guys, um, okay, out of 10, uh, what would you rate this departure? Like 10 being, oh, solid, you know, good timing that he left. And like one being, no, we should have never sold him, you know. So where do you stand on this? Yeah, I think at this point, I'm just very used to how Klopp operates. And I think it wasn't a surprise that one of the original front three were going to leave. Um, and yeah, I actually didn't know which one it was going to be with. And it, in the end, it ended up, ended up being Mane. But of course, it's more sentimental than anything, I feel, that he's done so well for us. He has he's potentially more to offer. But we've seen this before, right? When they, once they come of age, of Klopp's age, that he knows that the next player has to be in line, which is usually 23 or 24 years old, and Darwin is 23 years old. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very like sad that he's going because of all the good he's done, but I, you just trust that Klopp's um, system at this point. And so, just um, if you want to rate it out of 10, yeah. I'll say probably, uh, yeah, 7, 7.5. 7, 7.5. 7. 7. Yeah. 
good departure lah. Good yeah. lah. Before it becomes toxic, you know. <laughs> yeah, <because laughs> I found the relationship becomes tricky, you know. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Raul? Uh, yeah, I think it's a difficult one. Like Kaiser said, he's the first sort of signing of significance that sort of ushered in this whole era, right? Under Klopp, where we've been very successful. Mm. Like, has won everything that he could have won in a Liverpool jersey. Yes. Which is, you know, he leaves as a club legend. Is is very sad. I saw, I we were out on Saturday and they had the uh, Leipzig-Munich game, which I think is the equivalent of the Community Shield, and he scored Munich's second mm. goal. So it's like watching your ex-girlfriend, mm. you know, do well. <laughs> so it's always mixed feelings, right? Um, but no, I mean, again, like as Kaiser said, his departure will only be judged on the the, the, the future and had the success of how he's been replaced. So if Diaz and Nunes both, I mean, Diaz has done pretty well last season, but to replicate, he, I mean, he was averaging about 30 goals and assists per season. You have to replace that somehow whether that's 15 from Diaz, 15 from Nunes, or we get a number 10 contributing, that's how his departure will be judged. You know, I think he's still at the top of his game. Yeah. I think he'll still contribute to Munich. I'm sure they'll win the very Bundesliga again uh, and again, he'll do well yeah, in the yeah. Champions League. <laughs> yeah. But 30 million pounds for a 31-year-old player, I think who's won everything. He's he wanted business, a new huh? challenge. I'm sure Klopp and, you know, would have yeah. been happy to keep him on. But he wanted a new challenge. So, I mean... It's so nice to be in a position that you don't, you know, this is was it's not like a Torres departure, it's not like a Suarez departure. You know, mm. it can be argued we are just as yeah, good or yeah. even stronger after this departure, which is a very weird place to be. But I think, yeah, I think most people can be happy with it. So I wouldn't say it's a 10 or a 0, it'll be somewhere in between for me, a 5 or a 6, depending on how well we do. Okay, okay. And and how do you think, how do you think the team is going to cope without that 30 goals and assists a season? You know, how how do you think that is going to impact Liverpool's season this season? Or, you know, can you even give like a sort of prediction or, you know, do you think we just have to wait and see? Yeah, I think, it, no, it's huge. But I think, it, yeah, I think what it is is just the threat, you know, and you, I mean, most big teams would have seen this in the same way United when they had sort of Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, Berbatov. Even if they're not contributing goals and assists, there's only so many players you can mark. Do you see what I mean? So, for example, when yeah. they know, whenever we used to play, when it just used to be Bobby, Salah and Mane, if one of them was out, we were not only losing oh, yeah, their, yeah. their direct contribution, but it's the fact that if you're opposition defense, I yeah. mean, Origi is great and, you know, whoever we used to bring on is fine, but it's not the same, you know. So, instead not of doubling up on Mohamed mm-hmm. Salah, one of the best wingers in the country, you say, okay, let's, you know, keep an eye on him, but we're not that bothered. So that's what you lose. And Mane was one of the best players in the team. I'm sure any opposition defense mm. coming up would be like, what's the plan for Mane? Not only just the, what's the plan for Salah. So Diaz and Nunes yeah. have to reach that point where they're as big a threat that, you know, we don't lose uh, uh, any attacking input as a team. So it's the, I think it's very difficult to say, but it's a huge loss. It's a huge loss. But that doesn't mean that we can, con- you know, fill that hole in different ways. All right. So let's look at the season predictions for Liverpool. Um, we look at their first, um, let's just look at their first four games. So the first game, they have Fulham away, uh, Crystal Palace at home, United away, third fixture. And then the fourth one is Southampton. Sorry, is that Bournemouth? I can't see. I think Bournemouth, it's Bournemouth yeah. at home. Yeah. So... I think it's fairly easy fixtures lah. Huh? The first four fixtures, you all sort of can get running. Maybe Man United away. Maybe lah. Maybe might be a challenge, but I don't know. Let's see. Could it's, be. it's still, you know, it's Man United away, right? It's always going to be something of a challenge, I hope. 
So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the other three so, games definitely look really, really good. So yeah, yeah. Was a okay, fine. Season. Yeah, <laughs> aggregate. What was that? Nine. Uh. Like nine. <laughs> was that nine? <laughs> Lost count. Nine. 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 Aggregate. Huge. Huge challenge. So, where do you think you guys will finish next season? Do you think you win it? You'll win the Premier League. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean. I think it's tough to exactly say, but I think it'll be close to the end again between us and City. I just don't see any other team coming close Oish. again, to Oish. be honest. Um, yeah, well, that's all I can say. I'm not going to say first or second, but it'll be one of those places, I'm pretty sure. Let's see, let's see. I agree with you guys. I think a top two finish for Liverpool. This time, I'm not going to predict them to finish. What did I predict? Fifth, uh, the previous season. Something... All, all I remember was he but said yeah. Leicester going to finish above Leicester Liverpool. Leicester will finish above uh, <laughs> Liverpool, yeah. <laughs> but no, no. This time, top two lah, for sure. So I think that pretty much wraps up the Liverpool segment. And um, we'll catch you in the next segment with our special guests, Brother Carl and Kaiser covering Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal section of the... Preseason pod. Today, we're very thankful to have Brother Carl join us, who is the founder of Padambola Sepa. Uh, brother Carl, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you doing, brother? I'm very good. I'm very good. Very excited for the new season to start, especially uh, yeah, with the Liverpool win uh, against Man City. Well, that's another subject. Uh, but yes, Brother <laughs> Carl is joining us today to talk about Arsenal in depth and what he expects of the season and the transfers that they've done so far. And I want to start with the pre-season because they've had a very, very good one. Five wins in five, which were all deserved and playing extremely well and not against very easy opponents as well. 6-0 versus Sevilla recently, 4-0 against Chelsea. What's the secret? What's happening? Nah, trust the process. <laughs> I think that's what Arteta has been has been Arteta edu um the structure of uh, Arsenal Football Club is uh, relaying to the fans lah. So basically, it's just trust the process and uh, inilah rezeki. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely, and especially your main man who you've got in uh, this season, Jesus, uh, who's been your biggest purchase for around 52 million euros uh, from City. He scored six goals in those five uh, pre-season games. And Ateta has come out and just, of course, praised his goal scoring, but also his off-the-ball work. You've let go of Lacazette. We'll touch on the transfers out later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, what do you think, what do you think of Jesus so far? I mean, I know it's pre-season, but um, he's looking really good. Uh, from a, from a managerial point of view, kind it's quite intriguing because uh, when Arteta masu, uh, when Arteta came to Arsenal, uh, he didn't immediately buy a striker. Obviously, you have the quality of Aubameyang and Lacazette, but uh, he kind of you could see the transf- the transfer strategy over time. They kind of delayed that uh, signing. It's either the player that he wanted wasn't unavailable, and um, and and you can you can nampak lah like uh, over the years. Um, transfer news for Arsenal has been quite uh, airtight, uh, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting that Arteta is going for a striker like Gabriel Jesus when uh, back in January he was uh, chasing Vlahovic, uh, two very different different type of players. So right. it's interesting uh, to see that he got his man, which is uh, Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, like you said, you've had some uh, interesting um with your uh, strikers, especially the story of Aubameyang, how he's been the captain 
and Lacazette has his patches, good periods throughout the season, but no one to really, really lead the line. And so uh, definitely Arsenal fans and yourself will be hoping that Jesus um, will be the one. But on top of that, not just Jesus, but you've also bought someone else from Man City, Zinchenko. It seems to be a big signing. I think Arsenal fans, Tierney has been sort of a cult hero in the past few years and one of, your, uh, one of Arsenal fans' favourite players. But it seems potentially Zinchenko is really going to put Tierney's place uh, under contention. Is he expected to start, you think, um, um, it, this it, season? It, it's, it's going to be a very big season for Tierney. Uh, reason being, his, his fitness issues has always been an issue over the last uh, two, three seasons at Arsenal. So it's a right. big season for Kieran Tierney, if, uh, provided that he's fit and he uh, plays because he, uh, is, uh, he gets what the manager uh, is demanding of him. Uh, yeah. Again, every position should be uh, coated with uh, two professional and world-class players. So yeah. again, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant signing and Zinchenko. And one thing when you learn about Arteta's uh, and also Edu's uh, transfer strategy, there's always a certain versatility to every player. Uh, right. Like Ben White can play uh, right back, right uh, back yeah. Tomiyasu right back and also centre back. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. And now case in point, uh, Zinchenko can play in midfield. Yeah, so he really likes those um, fluid positioning, basically. Even not just defensive positions, as you mentioned, but I think the players out front uh, and in midfield as well, right? And does that uh, apply to Fabio Vieira as well, who you've signed for a similar fee, 35 million euros to uh, Zinchenko from Porto. Uh, What's he expected to provide the Arsenal team? The thing about Fabio Vieira is that Macham, like... It's such an Arsene Wenger signing, you know. It's like out of nowhere, <laughs> you know. Yeah, this like this like uh, um discreet like uh, European players that you haven't heard of. Is it? Ah, betul. <laughs> but but he has a good pedigree. He won the under twenty one European Championship against uh, England. You know, yeah. Mills Smith Rowe did mention in an interview that you know uh, Javier Vieira was like really good, and quite a number of players uh, kin to him to Bernardo Silva. So mm. uh, and also how the the swiftness of how Arsenal dealt that deal was really impressive but when you look at the player kan, you, macam, you feel that it's not a necessary signing but maybe okay. on the long term on the long run it is a necessary signing because uh, for example Albert Samuel Lakonga last year was signed uh, hadn't had a game since uh, December to November of last year so yep. that's the, you can see the strategy of like uh, getting under 23 you know, players who are, who are for the future so yeah. uh, the the last uh, this this transfer window and the previous transfer window you can really see what kind of team uh, both Edu and Arteta really wants and also Mertesacker complementing the academy the product juga lah and I think with uh, Europe this Europe this season uh, plus uh, having five subs uh, in the EPL I think definitely a priority to have more strength in depth for Arsenal uh, this season um, and especially yeah, you've covered the defensive position, striker, midfield. You've also bought a keeper, Matt Turner, from New England uh, in America. So, do you know much about uh, this guy and what he's, what role he's expected to play? Okay, so Matt Turner is something that I've quite, I'm quite really excited uh, for because having just okay. visited America a few months ago <laughs> and right. hearing a lot of really good things about the player. Uh, when oh, you look you've at done his, your scouting. Yes, I've done my scouting. <laughs> I, was, I, I almost actually went to see a game uh, a game of the revolutions, but at uh, no okay. no uh, no cigars there. Uh, okay. So uh, speaking about Matt Turner, uh, when you look at his uh, profile and and whatever again, 
he's 28 going 29 soon and he okay. uh, is considered a late bloomer in uh, professional football's term and right. especially for goalkeeper obviously the age of being a right goalkeeper of of a world class goal of getting that peak is or usually between 27 to 35 yeah he's so, considered decently <laughs> young yeah. in that sense for keeper not bad uh uh-uh. peaking so, but, peaking yeah but however on the on the on the technical and uh, technical side of, uh, of of the goalkeeper he has a very good attitude and mentality so you can see what kind of signings again we're going back to what Edu and Arteta and the scout and the scouts and the coaches are looking for good yeah. mentality uh meaning uh you know Matt Turner only got his professional debut like less than within the last 4 years maybe at, oh, yeah, okay, at wow. the age of 23 24 very recent you know he was a a joke uh, in uh, the this the in the in American soccer because there was a viral video of him if you were to look at ESPN and look mm-hmm. right now he is uh, basically number 1 for the United States uh he against uh, Zach Steffen uh, who is now on loan at uh, Middlesbrough from Manchester City from Manchester City yeah yeah mm-hmm. and uh, you can macam nampaklah his uh, you know the willingness to jump from MLS to uh, to to the Premier League to Arsenal so you can see what kind of mentality that he has and if you were to read his personal stories of how uh he was uh going through the trainings and also how he faced a lot of desi- a lot of um put a lot of challenges in his life uh and you can actually mm-hmm. understand what not not only the not only the technical side that the play that the uh, arsenal management uh, group are mm-hmm. looking for but the only the mental side the mental side the mental strength of it and uh when you look uh, at football manager uh, and also fifa or whatever games that you have <laughs> apa semua tu yeah. when you look at Matt Turner's uh, mental punya rating up mental uh, attitude th- those fortitudes is quite high it's relatively high and okay so he's I, known for that now yeah a good leadership as well obviously there yeah. is a bit of a worry of macam uh, him learning how to play the way correct the back back to goal uh, sort of uh, play but again Uh, you wouldn't be an Arsenal player or even playing in the Premier League, nor uh, being the first uh, first choice goalkeeper for for a national team. Like if you do yeah. not know how to adapt to the changes yeah. of the of, of of the industry. And I feel sometimes these kind of things are understated, right? Uh, things you don't see in the um, in the back room or in the changing room. Uh, these kind of characters who really helps uh, the team basically, and especially the youngsters around them as well. And Uh, speaking of youngsters, um, you signed Marquinhos, but you also brought back a lot of people from loan. <laughs> um, Saliba, Bellerin, Torreira, Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson. I mean, I mean a few of them. You've, um, you, I'm sure you're planning to ship off again. But I think Saliba is one to definitely mention because it seems like he's going to play a potential pivotal role this season. Yeah, uh, I was quite surprised uh, how he developed in uh, Marseille. And you can mm. you can tell that they uh, are just waiting for Bellerin to uh, to 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 be transferred out so that Saliba can get a number two jersey, <laughs> trying to get his price uh, price up lah basically. Uh-uh. Uh, but on, on the series matter, Saliba is uh, very interesting. Uh, like when you look at Arsenal's uh, back four since the Invisible Era, can you believe that there's yeah. a bit of like other. There's a bit, there's a bit of a fragility, except for the Lauren Koscielny, Nacho Monreal, Mertesacker, and Bellerin era, lah. Mm. But if you look at, you know, it's it's so much better compared to Socrates and uh, Mustafi, man. <laughs> so, Mustafi, oh man, wow, uh, <laughs> what a time uh-uh. that was. 
So you can see macam what kind of priorities that Arteta really wanted when he first yeah. came into the club lah. Like, he built the defense and so on lah. But we're getting hit yeah. ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but Saliba is an interesting one because it's been many years where he's been like in and out and loaned out in and out. Like why suddenly this season he's come of age? And I guess you said you were surprised as well. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's the structure that uh, that the Arsenal hierarchy has built. Uh, so okay. in the sense that macam they actually do have a loan manager that make sure uh, that the players are getting game time and so on and so forth. So I think okay. I, that's 100% Arteta and the team would like uh, have uh, reports on like the, the progress of the players and such. I see. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. How about Reese Nelson? I think that's quite an interesting one. Does he? You think that does he have a, pl- a place to play this season? Uh, you know, with the amount, it depends. Uh, it depends on the ingoings and outgoings. I expect Arsenal to do one more signing. And if I were to, oh, okay. yeah, if if I were to pick a signing, it would be uh, as much as I would, would love a midfielder like Yuri Tillemans. I think Yuri Tillemans is gettable towards the end of the window. Uh, mm. But for me, for right now, it's more having a competition for Saka. So, however, if you cannot okay. find that quality to compete with Saka, yeah, Rich Nelson is not a bad option to compete. And and he has surprised some some fans uh, during his time with uh, Feyenoord towards the back end of the last season. So, me never know. All right. Okay. Interesting times, interesting times. I really like those uh, signings. Actually, I'm interested to see how they all do. And talking about transfers in, now we'll talk about the transfers out. Uh, so Gwenduzi has gone to Marseille for 11 million. Mavropanos, who haven't played a pivotal role, 3 million to Stuttgart. Lacazette has gone on a free to Lyon and Tavares on loan out to Lyon as well. I thought Tavares, especially, that's an interesting one. I mean, he had a pretty good... Um, parts of the season when he had needed to uh, take over Tierney. What happened there actually with Tavares' story? Uh, Tavares is just too raw. And also, no, actually, it's not Leon, it's uh, Marseille. Uh, oh, Marseille, sorry, yeah. 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 It's okay, no worries. Um, I think Tavares is uh, too raw. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. uh, imagine ex- uh, Oxley Chamberlain uh, coming to Arsenal, yeah. uh, but have to play defense. You know, how Chamberlain, when he was at Arsenal, <laughs> okay, yeah. very extremely raw. But however, you know, you have you are playing in the defensive position. So when you make those mistakes, of course, more too, uh, it, it will cost you. So I think a loan towards a very good team, uh, Marseille, is 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 nice enough uh, for him. But okay. uh, again, like it's all down to the player. Uh, if the players yeah. perform in Marseille, uh, and imagine a situation where uh, Tyranny is not getting any games, and Arsenal um, prepared to ship Tyranny out, and Tavares yeah. comes back, um, really looking really strong. Uh, Arsenal yeah. doesn't really have to spend much to get a new left back. Yeah, no, no, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, as well, Lacazette being out on a free, and there's a lot of questions whether Saka will be a new penalty taker. That's, that looks like the case, right? Yeah, um, yeah. When you look at the team, can there's a lot of very good penalty takers. You know, Martinelli is one of them. Gerrudzio, Saka. Uh, you know, Ben White. I've seen taken in in youth youth level before. So okay. uh, that's 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 quite a good 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 number of players you can Zichenko, you know also so that there's a good quality so, like there yeah and for the I think we touched on the preseason games earlier but yeah I mean want to mention again what impressive preseason Arsenal have had I mean I'm sure fans are not trying to get too carried away of course but it's always <laughs> good to see especially against uh, teams like Sevilla and Chelsea uh, then anything I guess you saw in pre-season specifically that you really liked or disliked and what you're excited for? Uh, I'm just really excited how ruthless the team is. Uh, mm. I think that's what Arteta really demanded uh, towards the team in, in, pre- in uh, for the last maybe 
18 months um, okay. and tu lah macam uh, it's, it's good lah I mean like I mean, I mean you, you, if you if any Arsenal fan were to watch the game against Sevilla again can you, see, you can see how um, together the club has been since uh, maybe 2014 uh, yep. to, uh, to say the least and and uh, it's all it's all a credit to its uh, you know uh, the ownership uh, I hate to say it but the ownership uh, Josh Kroenke <laughs> uh, yeah. you know uh, then obviously Edu Arteta Mertesaka and, and the rest of the structure so you know yeah when Arteta when 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 Wenger left the short term was quite bleak when we had Unai Emery I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Unai Emery but maybe it was mm. the language communication problem uh, yeah, but when you go on to get Arteta obviously you can see uh, Ateta's uh, career in three phases. Now we we are in tri- phase phase three. You know, first phase right. was uh, more of like uh, building on a um, foundation. Then the second phase is more of a trial and error. Uh, you can see that yeah. they tried to do some stop gaps, uh, signing like David Luiz and William, uh, all the older right. players. And now this yeah. third phase, you can see the the clear strategy from the decision makers are okay under twenty three uh, players uh, yeah. with high ceiling. Uh, if they don't uh, whatever uh, you can ship them off for a very good price uh, compared to the last regime uh, it's a, basically it's an, end, it's an end of an error uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah end of an error because yeah. when you look at uh, the, the, the the place that was brought in by uh, Raul Senyali and uh, Sven Bissintat and uh, siapa that, that the old CEO uh, I even can see this you know, it costs Arsenal more than 100 million and Arsenal yeah. only recuperate back less than about 20 million. Mm. So, yeah, okay. mm, so Because I, I remember Edu had that uh, time where he had to come out and even give an interview on, yeah, rallying the Arsenal, Arsenal fans and making sure to everyone that they have a process in place and I think finally it's looking like it's coming into place, you know. I mean, it's, it's a good example. Like, the one example like, that he somewhat vaguely alluded to is more of like, like you, you look at Sadio Mane. You're a, you're, you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like, obviously, it was devastating to see live, uh, leave, but it's, it's, yeah. part of the, it's part of the game. It's part of the process. You have to exactly. Uh, exactly move that. on certain players. You know, like for Arsenal, obviously, there are certain players that you really cannot move on. Like, for example, Saka. But there are players that you can sell down the line, you know. Like uh, as much as I love him, uh, Gabriel Martinelli is a, is a sellable asset, you know. Uh, right. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't like Martinelli. I love him. But if you were to look in a business perspective, who are yeah. your sellable assets? Yeah, who can you gain from? I mean, he's the super high potential, and you can get a real value from him, right? Mm-mm. And also, and macam, you may never know, like, uh, like, like what happened to Liverpool, you know. Uh, Coutinho came up from like nowhere from Inter Milan you sell him for nearly 100 million if I'm, if, if I'm mistaken and that allows yeah. you to buy those two high world class players in Alisson yeah. and uh, Virgil van Dijk so something similar True. could happen to Arsenal within the next two years to get True. those big enough targets uh, to for, for them to challenge uh, for the Premier League yeah exactly and I think that's what Arsenal fans have been wanting to see a clear plan right because I think that's what they have been gone under scrutiny uh, before where they hire young players and suddenly old players and now I think there's a clear plan that um, the the management are actually uh, aiming for and yeah it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal end up and they start the season very interestingly with pretty good fixtures at, at least on the FPL website it says um, <laughs> that it's meant to be very very um, favourable fixtures and I think I mostly agree but I s- still see some roadblocks potentially 
Uh, there's Crystal Palace away, Leicester home, Bournemouth away, Fulham home, and a Villa at home. Um, so I guess you're getting definitely getting Gabriel Jesus in your team. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> Harlan and Jesus on my FPL. Harlan and Jesus, yeah, man. But you know, when you look at the at the at the games then before the international um, uh, break uh, happens in September. Yeah. Uh, tu lah macam For me as an Arsenal fan um, You know I just want to see progress And being entertained lah uh, And I think win, win, lose or draw As long as the players Are giving 100% I know it's very cheesy For me To say that yeah. Uh, No but Yeah, yeah for, for example The Man City game Last year at, at the Emirates You know You can you can tell the fans Were on side The, the team Despite losing yeah. 2-1 Exactly so, yeah. That was a very impressive game Yeah uh, so, the whole game so, on it, yeah. yeah So so those type of performance Will Will Create a sense of further belief that this team can go far and yeah, um, right. I think uh, again sorry for getting ahead of myself but nice. uh, if Arsenal can can stay within like touching distance of like uh, are in the distance of uh, third, third and fourth place before the World Cup happens I think that is a very good foundation for the club Ooh. to build on uh, from the season and also with the five subs just mentioned earlier uh, it's yeah. also going to be very interesting how tactical uh, teams will be even more uh, this season Definitely, definitely. You say third or fourth. Uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued by that uh, because Spurs are looking at um, them and how they've recruited as well. They are on an uh, interesting, uh, very positive trajectory as well, and especially towards the end of the season and how they finish that season. Chelsea will be an interesting uh, outfit after they sort of fell short of expectations uh, last year. So, yeah, I wanted to ask, I guess, you already mentioned that you think third or fourth, I mean, before the World Cup would be a very good place to sit, but I guess as a season as a whole, um, I guess, of course, considering all the cup competitions and all, what are your sort of expectations of this team mm, uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, what they, you'll be satisfied with in terms of achievements? Uh, for me, I think Arsenal, uh, every Arsenal fan wants uh, us to challenge for the Premier League, Tapi Realistically, this season uh, yeah. will still be a short, you know, which is no problem. It's a, it's a team that is still in uh, in the process. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I yeah. think last season when we reflect back, it was a big of a surprise that Arsenal uh, were competing to get a Champions League spot. I think a lot of Arsenal fans were very surprised uh, with the amount of signings and also uh, the whole Abu Mayang issue um, and so on and so forth. And so yeah, uh, this season I think the expectations has grown, uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think. That's what yep. Arteta wants. That's what Edu wants. That's what um, the players want, you know. Yep. And uh, you know, you're you're working in a high pressure environment, and you should be thriving and uh, becoming more and more like diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely for sure. I think it'll be very interesting to see how the uh, season plays out, especially like you said with the World Cup uh, in the middle and Arsenal, and especially the top teams having a lot of international. Uh, players does that mean you know the lower teams have an interesting or better better chance of uh, fighting for those um, European spots potentially uh, when it comes to January onwards uh, so yeah thank you so much I think that wraps up the Arsenal uh, section uh, for this pod brother Carl thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure to uh, have you on and yeah we look forward to uh, having you more on the pod in the future. Cool, cool. Uh, thanks, everyone. And I do apologize for uh, low energy and also noise in the background. It's been a very long day. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I'm sure they'll forgive you. <laughs> All right, brother Carl. Till next time. Okay, guys. Um, welcome back to the last segment where we'll be covering a newly promoted team, Bournemouth. Uh, they're not 
uh, new to the Premier League. Uh, they've been promoted to the EPL three times in the span of six years um, under Eddie Howe, who is now manager of Newcastle. Uh, they were in the EPL. They they remained in the EPL for about five seasons, but then you know things took a turn and they got relegated in 2020. But they have finished runners up uh, in the championship uh, last season and they've made it again to the Premier League. So I just I just thought let, let's just look a bit o- uh, at their transfers uh, this season. So it's it's kind of strange um, from uh, Bournemouth's fan sorry Bournemouth fans' point of view. They've been saying that you know transfer ex- activity has been a bit sparse in the sense that it's been sporadic. You know, it's not been consistent, and the su- the type of signings that they've made have been sort of a safeguard signing if they get relegated. So what I mean by this is they're not signing PL proven players. Instead, they're sort of signing players who will do well in the championship in case they get relegated. You know, and and uh, the fans are not used to this because usually under Eddie Howe. Every time they got promoted, you know, Eddie Howe would go out and sort of get either PL proven players or uh, get potential PL, um, you know, uh, like uh, stars uh, for from example. overseas and stuff. Young, as well. yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. He used to, go, he used to take overseas. the risk, you know, get some yeah. exciting signings in. But you know, Scott Parker, the current um, uh, Bournemouth manager, he's been a bit, uh, a bit on the safe side. Well, no, I was just going to say because it's funny that um, two out of the three promoted sides. I've been quiet, you know, for 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 uh, relative standards in the transfer market. So Bournemouth, you're saying, yeah, I, I I agree with you. They're very unhappy with the incoming so far, but Fulham is the same, you know. And we were talking about Fulham as well. I think largely they've been unhappy with how you know personnel that they've brought in, and I wonder if there's a thing about, oh, we shouldn't go so gung ho to begin with because people are you know gonna is there is there a tax because you're promoting being promoted that people are gonna charge you a bit more about players or i don't i don't know what parallels there are but it's so funny that both the teams the top two in the championship from last season are both not really signing many players it's not forest who have signed loads of players so i don't know if there's any reason for it or uh, it's just a coincidence I think the way I see it is, I think it's more of a risk-averse approach, lah. You know, they're not going to shell out cash and take the risk and sort of just get relegated, right? So what the, I think the way they look at it is, okay, fine, we make these sort of safeguard signings. If we get relegated, that's fine. We have players who are proven in the championship, but for example, if we manage to stay up in the league for another season, then maybe they go on and invest in PL proven assets, you know? So maybe that's the structure they're looking at. Yeah. I I, mm. I think fina- financially that makes sense. Yeah. But what I was just thinking is like, now there's five subs, you're even going to be at more of a disadvantage yeah. compared to the, the, the gap that's is going to be even further if you don't have squad depth, you know? So it looks very worrying for these Yeah, teams. so you see, let's let's just look at the signings that they've got so far, the three signings, yeah? The first signing, Joe Rothwell. He's a 27-year-old a central midfielder. He signed on a free from Blackburn. And he's a bit of an unknown quantity because um, he was good for Blackburn in the first half of the season and then sort of, you know, tailed off towards the second half of the season. But not just him, you know, Blackburn as a team itself, they sort of tailed towards the second half of the season. And another thing is, where will he fit into this Bournemouth team? You know, because it's not a signing that's going to just come in and fit in straight. You know, because Scott Parker, he has a system and they're not making signings that are first team signings. They're making squad signings, sort of backup signings. These players are not um, are, are better than what they already have, you know. And I guess the only shining light is he's been, you know, pretty decent in the in the preseason. So so let's see where he goes. And then another signing, Ryan Fredericks. Uh, 
those who play Ultimate Team will know uh, Fredericks. He's the 29-year-old <laughs> right back from West Ham. He's one pacey. Uh, oh, sorry, I was just gonna. Sorry. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> but he's, he's really pacey, bro. And uh, and and the thing is, you see, statistically, he's better than. Bournemouth other right backs but Bournemouth fans will come out straight up and say no he's not going to replace the current right back you know he's definitely a backup there you go again another signing who's just another squad player who's not and better he's injured, than right? what he's not even fit for yeah the he's injured season. as well and he's, he's not better than what they already have you know and mm. um, I guess there's one one uh, positive in the incomings um, at the time of recording right Raul one hour ago they announced uh, the signing of 23 year old Marcus yeah, Tavener, and uh, yeah, he's he's one exciting signing that the the fans are really really happy with. Uh, he's twenty three years old, uh, left midfielder, and he's a perfect addition to the Parker system because his system requires a lot of moving parts, and uh, and they're saying that this guy has the talent to sort of you know fit into that system. Also, plus point, he can play several positions. He can he's left footed, really fast, so he can play on the wing. He can play wing back. And he also can play as an eight, and uh, the eight role is his preferred role. So you know it'd be exciting to see that role. I think the one thing you know with all the incomings, which also reflects Scott Parker's sort of style of play, is that the criticism always leveled at him is he's too conservative. You know, so mm. he he's too conservative in the way he played, and I think last season Bournemouth. I again I didn't really follow Bournemouth during the season, but a lot of fans were saying that during the season it's very conservative, and you know it was more about being very solid and and uh, Dominic Solanke, who's their number nine, being very dependent on him as being the 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 the, the, the main uh, guy, uh, focus of their play, and you know mm. we, we we score but we keep solid, and it's the same thing that happened when Scott Parker came up a few years ago with Fulham. With Fulham, right? Yeah, Fulham, I was just going to say. Won, to begin with, they weren't really getting trashed, but they were losing 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. And that's just not good enough. You can't do it in the Premier League. All the teams that have stayed up so far, Leeds, Brentford, have been Sheffield expensive United. teams who go, who look to exploit the other teams, to look to score goals. I can't really remember a team that was defensively solid and that was their way that they stayed in the Prem. I think it's very difficult because it's very mm. hard to accumulate points and get close Maybe to Sheffield that United, point but, Yeah, you know. Sheffield United, but they were dangerous on the attack. You know, they had that five, they had their overlapping centre-backs and things like that. They were, they were scoring goals. That is the, that was, that's what you have to do. And you don't um, see much so changing with Parker. That's the thing. He's not really a visionary in that sense. I mean, that, so yeah, far, that he's shown many, so yeah. far, right? He's still a very young manager, but I think that's what will be most worrying, you know. And looking at the incomings as well, it doesn't seem like much is going to be changing there. Yeah, but we won't we won't see Fraser and Wilson uh, for Bournemouth. Combo, <laughs> combo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very different team to Eddie House Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, very different. And uh, uh, one crucial area that even. Uh, the manager Parker has come out and said that you know they just don't have enough defenders you know and uh, centre back yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the centre back position is his most uh, like crucial area that he needs to fill but the players that have been transferring transferring out are centre backs you know you yeah. look at uh, Zenon Ibsen Rossi he's a 21 year old um, centre back it's not like he he pulled up any roots you know he's 21 years old but he played a big part when the squad was very thin, you know, in the bare bones. And the fans were a bit surprised with this one, considering the lack of centre-backs in their squad. And uh, they would have preferred a loan 
for uh, Zeno Ibsen Rossi, but you know they've sort of sold him. And then another um, centre back that they've sold, let go of is Gary Cahill. But I think Gary Cahill because he's thirty six years old, he's, so it's not much that you know he can do. I think, but. One positive, uh, no, one uh, thing fans are hoping for is to sort of get Nat Phillips back. So we don't know the exact situation, but Bournemouth fans really like Nat Phillips. They said Nat Phillips has bought into the Parker culture, the, the Bournemouth culture, the system, and they are quite confident that they will sort of get him back after the season starts. So Rahul, I just wanted to ask, what are your, like, what are, you, what, what are your thoughts on this Nat Phillips situation? Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weird because first of all, when the season ended, it was like, yeah, you know, Bournemouth be looking to sign Nat Phillips. They've come up. He had a very good season there on loan from Liverpool. So I should have mentioned that. Um, and then he went away. And then uh, you know, two weeks ago, the normal sort of Liverpool journalists were saying that oh, Klopp sees him as maybe the replacement of Joel Matip or at least someone who can challenge for that spot. Uh, eventually, what they saw of his performances in the Championship last season were enough to warrant that. And then literally today, I've seen the same sort of journalist saying that, oh, Bournemouth look like uh, pushing harder for it now and Liverpool let yeah. go if they get something in the region of £15 million. Pounds. So I think it's very good. I, it's, it's, it's very odd that not more even Premier League sides are looking to sign him up because I think he was, he was pretty good for He's Liverpool good when we yeah. needed him at the back end of not last season, the season before. You know, He was yeah. a big reason we got the Champions League spot. Um, and then he's shown that he can do it at a championship level, at a top championship level. So it's very odd because he's young. He's proven it at two different levels, but there's no sort of demand for him. It's very odd. So I don't know if there's another reason or they think that, you know, it's, it's been one-offs these last few seasons. It's very odd. But I think that's what Bournemouth need to do. 13 to 15 million pounds for a young, proven centre-back. I think it's very reasonable. And it's the type of signing yeah, you need to make if you want to stay up. Yeah, 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 definitely. And let's take a look at their first four fixtures in the Premier League when the season starts. First <laughs> game, Villa at home. Okay, not bad. Second game, Man City away. Third game, Arsenal at home. Fourth game, Liverpool away. So you have Second two of your worst. Game. You have two of your worst games in the season in the first four games. Basically. I think Man City and Liverpool. Yeah, away. Man City and Liverpool. Yeah, first away uh, is a home hat trick. <laughs> yeah. You can see that happening. Like, I think I I see them getting uh, best case scenario one point out of these, out of a possible twelve. You know, that's best case. Well, but wow, I'm just um, okay. Let's let's not end this on a negative note. Um, let's just hope Bournemouth stay up. But I really think they're gonna get relegated, lah. <laughs> I really think uh, the way it's going, uh, bro. You don't have enough centre backs, and you've just been promoted. What's gonna happen yeah, to you, it's man? Not looking good. Huh? What's gonna happen? That being said, that wraps up our pre-season series. So the next time you hear from us will be the first episode of the new season of the Baller Let's Boys go. podcast. Oh, I thought FPL. <laughs> Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football.